is Jesus? And what the heck does he have to do with my life? That's the question that we are addressing during this Advent season. Who is Jesus? And what does he have to do with my life here in the 21st century, here in this part of the world? Our gospel lesson today reminds us that Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the one who has come to save us from our sins. We read in Mark's gospel that John the baptizer comes first to prepare a way for the Lord, referring back to the words of the prophet about making the, plain, making the mountains flat like a plain so that the king can enter in. We are called or we hear John's call by God to prepare a way of the Lord. And so he baptizes with a baptism of repentance. Repentance. That when we recognize our wrongdoing, the sins that we have done, and we feel sorry for them. That is the baptism that John baptizes with. And he tells those that come out into the wilderness that one coming after him is so powerful that he is not even worthy to handle the ties on his sandals. Because the one that is to come is the Savior, the Messiah. And his baptism is of a forgiveness of sins. John the Baptist comes to prepare the way of the Lord by inviting people into the act of repentance, of feeling sorry, so that when the Savior comes, those things for which each of us is sorry are forgiven. We are saved from the burden of our sins. Jesus is the Messiah, Messiah the Savior, our Savior, the one who saves us from the burden of our sins. Because let's face it, when we become aware of our wrongdoings, it is often too big of a burden for us to carry. I think of the news this week that has come down from all sorts of places. Early in the week, we heard the grand jury's decision in regard to the policeman who was in relationship with Eric Gardner and it resulted in Eric Garner's death. Who can bear the burden of that? This was a policeman trying to do the right thing. He was trained about how to keep peace and harmony in a community. He went into his job that day with the desire and the commitment to make a peaceful place. But it went wrong. Nobody knows right when it went wrong and where that slope began to get slippery. But somewhere along the way, his fear became greater than his consciousness and things just went wrong. So wrong that someone died. Who can bear the burden of such a wrongdoing? Especially when this guy was trying to do the right thing. I can't imagine that there's any amount of desk time that can relieve him of that burden. I'm sure he's getting counsel from lawyers about what to say and what not to say so that the burden doesn't become greater. I'm sure his family, his friends are telling him how to act, what to do, so that the burden doesn't become greater. The New York City Police Department is trying to relieve some of the burden because they have said, we are going to start new training. It's partly our fault. We didn't train him right. 
They're trying to lift some of the burden from him. He messed up, and someone died because of his mistake. Who can carry the weight of their wrongdoing? It is too big of a burden for us. The Apostle Paul knew this well. He was very similar to that policeman. I can't remember where it is in Scripture, and we read it only a few weeks ago, where the Apostle Paul talks about his righteousness and his commitment to righteousness out of his love for God. Oh, he loved God. And he followed all of the rules to the T, to the best that was even possible. In fact, you couldn't even touch him. Not only was the Apostle Paul so good in his devoted righteousness, but he had a lineage, a heritage, inheritance that put him above the rest. You couldn't touch him in his commitment to living a righteous life. It was in his carrying out that righteous life that he persecuted the followers of Jesus. You read about him early in the book of Acts, at the stoning of Stephen, our patron saint, the first martyr. If you read there, right at the very beginning, I think it's in chapter 3, after Stephen is stoned to death, it says, people came and laid their coats at the feet of Saul. Saul is the one who later encountered the risen Christ and received a new name, the name of Paul. And here it is that Paul is saying to us, he says this in many of his letters, and particularly in Romans and in Galatians, we can't save ourselves. The burden is too great for us. Even on our attempt to do good, we do bad. We cannot carry this burden of our wrongdoing ourselves. We need a savior. And Christ Jesus is our savior. And he goes on to talk about how God saved him in Christ. He can't be quiet about it. In fact, if he were here today, I would look calm. God changed his life, saved him from his burden. Well, maybe you say, you know, I'm not those, that type of person. I'm not like Paul out there in front doing big things. I'm not a policeman. I don't want that responsibility. Who would when life and death matters are always at hand? Maybe you say, I'm more of the quiet type. I like to sit back and protect myself from doing any wrongdoing. Well, let me remind you of the Apostle Peter. He was a boisterous person, but worked on being quiet. And he was a follower of Jesus from very early on, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He was the first one to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. It's in Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, after other people have said that Jesus is a prophet or a great teacher or Elijah, Peter says, you are the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus says, yes. Later on in the scriptures, we read that Jesus tells Peter that before, as he encounters the Jerusalem and prepares for his imminent death, his crucifixion, Peter says, no, this isn't going to happen. And Jesus says, yes, it is. And a little later in scripture, Jesus says to Peter, in fact, you will deny me three times before the cock crows. Peter says, no, no, no. Jesus, I have walked this whole way with you. From the very beginning, I've been by your side. I've been in sync with you. I left my family to help in this mission that I believe so much about, that you are the Messiah, the Christ. I would never deny you. 
And yet we read in John's Gospel, as Peter is taken into the court of the high priest, Peter has to stay, as Jesus is taken into the court of the high priest, Peter has to stay out in the courtyard. He's seated by the fire. I imagine him biting his nails. What's going on in there? What should I do? What's going to happen? Consumed with his own thoughts and anxiety, a, a servant girl approaches him and says, Oh, aren't you a follower of Jesus? And he says, No. He's trying to fade into the woodwork. Like, let me just get my bearings here. I don't know how I'm even supposed to respond to what's happening here. He's trying to be invisible. A little later, another person comes by and asks him the same question. Oh, you're a follower of Jesus. And he says, no, I'm not. And the third denial slips right in without him even recognizing it. When she says, but your accent is the same as his. And Peter says, no. And the cock crows. I imagine that he went white, realizing what had just happened. And in John's Gospel, we see Jesus, after his resurrection, when he appears to the disciples on the shore, feeding them with fish, he gives Peter three times to claim him again. Because the burden is too great for him to bear. The burden of our wrongdoing is too big for any one of us to bear. Judas, who betrayed Jesus, knew this. He was so burdened by his betrayal of Jesus, he hung himself. He couldn't handle his wrongdoing. Jesus is the Messiah, our Savior. He comes into the world so that we might be forgiven of our sins. Because once we know what we've done wrong, it's too much for us. We can't handle it. Jesus comes to save us. He's the Savior. Now, perhaps this week, as you heard the news, you felt an inclination toward cynicism. Gosh, haven't we been working on this stuff? Still bad things happen, even with all of our efforts to do right. Hasn't it always been this way? People are trying to do good, and still bad things happen. Why do we even bother? We think we're making strides, and yet we feel like We've taken two steps forward and one step back. You can hear the cynicism of the prophet Isaiah in our first reading this morning. When he says, look God, we're, we're like grass. In the span of time we grow up, just your breath can wither us and it's over. Why even bother? And Jesus, well God says to the prophet Isaiah, you bother because I care about you, that's why. It doesn't matter what span your life is. I value you. That's why you bother. Tell the people that I come to take you unto myself. And he uses this beautiful image of lambs. He takes us unto himself, carrying us in his bosom, next to his heart. That's why we bother, because God cares. That's the only reason we bother, is because God cares. And God has come to save us from our sins. We cannot bear the burden of our wrongdoing. And sometimes we try to fool ourselves into thinking we've done nothing wrong. Because we know we can't bear the reality that we have, especially when we try to do the right thing. And again, it is the Apostle Paul that says, if we say that we have no sin, 
we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But we are reminded throughout Scripture that it is in Jesus that we have been saved. We fall short of the glory of God, but Jesus forgives us of our sins and draws us into that glory, empowering us to go out into the world to forgive others of their sins because we have been forgiven. He says that to the disciples in the upper room after he has been raised from the dead. He breathes on them the Holy Spirit, it says in John's Gospel. And he says, whatever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whatever sins you retain, they are retained. That is the power given to us by God in Christ, our Savior, the one who has forgiven us of our sins. In the Episcopal Church, we don't have what some people refer to as an altar call. As you might see in some non-denominational, even some extreme branches of Protestantism, an opportunity for people at the end of the sermon to come forward if they feel so moved to lay down their burden, the burden of their wrongdoing. And if you've ever been to a service in which there is an altar call, you know that there's someone who meets a person as they come forward, whether it be a pastor or a committed layperson, to pray with them so that they can lay down their burden and hear that they are forgiven. We don't have anything like that, but we do every week have an altar call. It's when we come forward to receive the Eucharist. And as we prepare to come forward to the altar, we pray. We pray as we hear it in our Eucharistic prayer for this season. We pray these words. We pray that God will forgive us and help us to not come to this table for solace only and not for strength. That God will help us come to this table not for pardon only, but for renewal. We pray that God will give us strength and renew us as we take unto ourselves Christ. And we remember that it is Christ who sustains us. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God will unite us as God's body in this world so that we might be proclaimers of God's forgiving and redeeming love, the saving grace that each of us needs and that each of us is being given in Christ. In a few weeks, we will sing joy to the world. Our Savior reigns. The one who has saved us will come again. The one who has saved us saves us now. Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world, the one who forgives us of our sins. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Amen.